Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. I am Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. We had a case of the giggles before we started recording, but we're on now. We're focused, and we're looking forward to what should be kind of a snoozer on Saturday. Yeah, it was a snoozer last year, um, and it's going to be a snoozer again. It was a snoozer in 2015, uh, and it was a snoozer again in 2016. So all indications point to a snooze fest on Saturday. But with that glowing review of this game that's coming up on Saturday, uh, we are still fairly excited for it because JMU football is back and there's nothing like watching them just beat the living uh, tar out of Moorhead State to start a season. It's kind of become a rite of passage here for JMU. I was looking at the history and like when they played and you kind of just went through it right now, but I, for some reason, I thought that they had played more recently, like 2016 to the to last year was a longer gap than I had thought. Yeah, same, I just actually. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. I had just sort of assumed that they were one of the, like, cupcake games that they had been opening with for, like, every year. It sort of feels like they played a lot, and they put up huge numbers and, and don't give up any points. Uh, sorry to everyone for Bennett's mic. We're having some weird mic technical difficulties. Um he keeps getting very modulated. But, yeah, I mean, I thought they played – I yeah, I thought they had played every year. And then when I was doing kind of the mini deep dive off of Greg Medea's tweet, because Robert Te- Tenure – is his name Rob, Rob Tenure? He said, quote, they're really well coached, that's for sure, but you've got to try and take some of the things they do really well away or at least control it to prevent big plays. So that's the goal. Um, he hasn't lived up to that goal. Since he took over in 2013, JMU has played Moorhead State three times, 2015, 16, and 21. And uh, they've scored 14 points in those three games. Yeah, I mean, they're like, what, are they non-scholarship and, like, just not all that all that great? I mean, it's – it's or partial, whatever they are. I'm not expecting them to be all that good. And it's it's a weird week, right, where the coaches, like – have to give their comments and they're like, oh, we're, we're taking Moorhead State seriously and Moorhead State's trying to really prevent JMU when like they just don't have the athletes to compete at, at all. I remember when I did the O'Neill's press conference for the Breeze and then when I would do sideline for Madison, 
every week during the cupcake games, I would talk myself into thinking that there was a chance that JMU could lose. Like the Robert Morris week in 2018, I was like, I don't know. I, th- I really think I, – I, I forgot what their coach's name was. But I was like, I, he may have built them into a real contender. And then, you know, listening to Houston and then Signetti's comments, like – go or I guess it was Houston at that time, listening to Houston's comments at the O'Neill's press conference where – he just speaks so glowing of him. He's like, you know, their running back has real breakaway speed and we really have to keep him contained. And then that running back proceeds to run for three yards because the defensive line just like manhandles the offensive line. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's funny how this week leading up, you think that there's a chance that Moorhead state will score points and it never happens. Yeah. It's a, it's a mismatch and it's, I don't know. It's like a decent game kind of to, to just ease into the season. I think I'm most excited just to see like some of the backups play, which is maybe weird. And I don't know how early we want to get into like backup quarterbacks, but like hopefully Cole Johnson plays well. And then you're looking at Billy Atkins, who they have listed at number two. Technically it's an or technically Patrick Bentley. Technically, yes. It's technically an or with Bentley. I'm I'm not all that interested in seeing Bentley just because he doesn't seem like really the future of, uh, the program, he's a veteran, and, and it kind of makes sense as a backup. I don't – I think things would go pretty poorly if he starts a game in his JMU career. No yeah. thanks to him, but I think they'd rather roll with the young guys. So, like, that'd be fun for me to see. I want to see Kalon Black at the ball a lot. I imagine he might even be limited in this game just because he might be – he might be running back number one because Percy's questionable with a hamstring. Yeah, I don't know how much Black will actually get to touch the ball or, or do things just because they have so many other – guys there and and he has a chance to be running back one because Percy's a little banged up and uh, it could be more of an Austin Douglas Latrell Palmer show and then in some years when they play more head state we figure out who like the ninth running back on the team is so that could be a fun yeah I think Eric Curlew had his breakout game Mm -hmm. against Moorhead State you know the the walk-on who would get the mop-up time who knows we might even see someone who's not even named on the two deep Solomon Van Horse um Jamie fans were not happy that he was not on the two deep I think that was the most replies that we got. Yeah, because they list him at kick returner, but he's not anywhere in terms of like running back wide receiver, which is more, which I don't know. I've said this before that I like, I kind of wish they'd use him more offensively, but he doesn't yeah. really have a true position with the way they use him. He's not going to be carrying the ball 10 times a game, but hopefully they find a way to get him the ball because he's faster than like 95% of their team. Yeah. I'd, so I guess that's the segue. Well, I guess we'll preview Moorhead kind of as we as we break down everything. But let's start with some too deep talk. Solomon Van Horse is the kick returner with Kalon Black. Jordan Swan's the punt returner. Um, kind of weird to start with the specialists, but let's start there. It, the The punt return especially, but it just hasn't seemed to be as electric as past years last year in the spring. Um, do you expect some of that like electricity to come back with Swan – fielding punts and Van Horse and Black being the two kick returners? Yeah, I'm kind of looking for that at like every position. Like I think JMU should be more explosive this year. Offensively, I think with Cole having more confidence, I'd love to see some chunk plays in the passing game. Uh, the running game, I think will be as explosive as it usually is. But then like defensively, I think turnovers and, and sacks and tackles for loss blocked punts, kick returns that, that are actually explosive, punt returns, things like that. I think they have a, a chance this year to be really dynamic and make a bunch of plays that are like, wow, that that's a potential game changer 
um, especially when you're playing a good team. So I would like to see them be better on punt return. I think they will be. I think Swan's, I just think he's a better athlete than Sroba. So I think he'll, he'll be able to make more plays. What is Jordan Swan's story? He was a transfer from Maine, New Heatherman, and came over and is now the a, a backup cornerback and a kick returner, right? Yeah, so I think he was he was like a double stop, I believe. I want to say he was a, a UConn and then Maine and returned punts for both. So then there was some talk that like he was a good FBS punt returner, and I think we can use that in air quotes when we talk about UConn, but um <laughs> no i mean <laughs> yeah you guys not good i think it, <laughs> right. this this is no slight to stanley hubbard but i kind of expected him to break into the starting lineup for the offensive line this year um considering he was an fbs transfer but i think we're seeing that yukon uh doesn't mean great right right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of a hard to to see there but he, he also returned looks like he returned um kickoffs so he, he had like a 60 yard kickoff return against UVA when he was at UConn um, and he, he had six punt returns whenever this was at Maine which is not a lot but he averaged 13 yards of return so I think you can get something out of that he had a 49 yard return against Richmond and and things like that he's had some explosive returns so I think he's probably not Amos right he might not have multiple touchdowns but if he can literally just have like one or two returns every couple of weeks that go for like 20 plus that's huge for a team that seems like it's going to be really good offensively and defensively. Yeah. I'm so excited for this offense, not for the running backs, but for the wide receivers, Antoine, I remember going into the spring, I was low on the wide receivers. I didn't hate the wide receivers. Yeah. I hated them. Um, (laughs) But now I'm so high on them. I'm so excited for Wells, Bracey, Thornton, we were talking a little bit about kind of the backups. You, you were reading some of the names and you're like, who? Um, but I don't think the backups really matter all that much when Wells Jr. is going to be out there. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only question you'd have is like if someone gets injured. But I think the thing we talked about offline is like normally with JMU, we don't always know the like fifth and sixth receivers. Yeah. And then they start to play and you're like, well, that guy's pretty darn good. <laughs> So it's it sort of feels like the Alabama and Clemson thing of, of the FCS where they have new names maybe or some backups you don't know and then they have yeah. to come in you're like oh my god like <laughs> why hasn't this kid been a four year starter <laughs> right. it is worth noting um, Kendall Dean is injured mm-hmm. he's out for the season I believe yeah. ACL or something in his knee maybe yeah something um, like I think I don't know if it's public information I don't know if it's been released what exactly it was so he's out of course Jake Brown um, he transferred ahead of the spring season I think during fall uh, when it was announced that they won't be playing and Devin Ravenel is also battling an injury if I'm not mistaken it seems that way otherwise I would have kind of expected him to be listed on the I think he was at, at the very least because there were a bunch of stories in February about how he was poised for a big spring. And then I think he got hurt. So I wonder if those, how much those linger. Cause there's not a lot of a long gap between like February and now really in terms yeah, of the, injury. There, there wasn't an off season. Like no. if you got injured at the end of the spring, like we're seeing it with South Dakota state, their mm-hmm. star quarterback, Mark Gronowski got injured in the championship game and he's missing this entire season where if he got injured at the end of a fall season, he'd probably be ready for week one of the next fall. But yeah, it's kind of if you went down in the spring season, you're probably missing some time this year. 100%. And South Dakota State reloaded nicely through the transfer portal. Uh, they're going to be Colorado State, FCS, FBS, 
upset. Wow. Book it. I think from what I saw, the line I saw, they opened as the three point favorite actually on the road. Wow. At Colorado South State. Dakota State opened yeah. as a favorite. I looked that way, but although I was looking at like the action app and they were pulling some from from some weird sports books that had an FCS line. So <laughs> makes sense. I did I did just to do a quick side tangent on betting. I followed Chase Kitty's advice. I yes. pounded um Jacksonville I'm State at plus seven. But I've got them at plus 17, and the second I got them at plus 17, they moved to 16 and a half. Um, so I felt like that was a good get. And then I also I went I faded Chase. Um, I went over 51 and a half points because it was plus 100. And then when I checked back, it was 51 and a half for the it was set at the over under, and it had moved to minus 115. So I think I got right. That's at pretty good. Times. That's pretty good. I think I've got them 16 and a half, and then I've got them plus nine and a half in the first half. Okay, I, so I'm, I'm all in on Jacksonville State. I think they're going to hang in there. I think they're kind of evenly matched with UAB. Yeah, I don't think they're going to win. I think they're going to hang in there and not lose by 17 points. I'm so excited for some of these FCS, FBS. I'm actually interested in, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I think Weber State, they're like five touchdown dogs to Utah. I think they'll cover that, but I'm really interested to see how they go and play um, a ranked FBS team. I think Utah is right around the 24th or something like that, so. And to kind of continue this talk, I mean, this is what happens on a Moorhead State week. You know, there's not a, there's not a, a ton to really dig into. We will dig into a little bit in a bit. But Jamie Moorhead isn't a great litmus test. Like, if Jamie blows them out by 50, that's the same as them blowing them out by 80. Um, this isn't really going to tell us too much about Jamie that we don't already know. It'll tell us about backups, but it won't tell us about how good Cole will be. Um, but, but a great litmus test, litmus test, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah. is an FCS school against an FBS school, specifically like a Utah type. Maybe not mm-hmm. all the way Utah because they are ranked, but like seeing a good FCS school compete normally for the first half yes. against an FBS team, that's how you know how good an FCS team is. Granted, then the scholarships come into play and depth come into play in the second half. It's really fun to watch. I think if Weber State can keep it within like three touchdowns, I think that's going to be a really tough game in two weeks. Yeah, I think that's that's why it'll be so interesting to see and, and what they can do quarterback-wise because Weber State, when when JMU plays them on the 18th, Ogden, that's going to be the best team that JMU would face you know, in the three games this season. That won't be the case, in my opinion, uh, for Weber State. I think Utah, a ranked FBS team. Really? Which, <laughs> still, I bet there are fans who are disagreeing. Uh, has an edge over JMU. So, like, that'll be interesting to see. And, and that game's actually Weber State's first home game, JMU is. So I thought that was an interesting thing. We're already diving into Weber. But, no, the Moorhead State, like you're saying, it's not a great litmus test. But I do remember last year, 52 to nothing, uh, I didn't come away overly impressed with Cole. Like, I thought last year in that game he was leaving throws kind of short and stuff. But do you remember last year it was cold and extremely windy? Because I remember this I was def- – at this point I was defending Cole. I was this still in true. Cole's camp. And we granted, I'll admit, all the fans were right. And if you had doubts about Cole after that first game, you, you were completely right um, because he did kind of lack arm velocity. He lacked getting it, the deep ball to the receiver. He lacked the timing. He lacked really everything last at the beginning of last season. But it was really windy, um, so I'm still going to defend him on that Moorhead State game. But what, you, as you were saying, sorry about that. No, no, that is that is fair. I think for me though, like there's not a lot you can take away. But if you if they do come out firing a little bit, like last year they're up 21 nothing after a quarter, that kind of stuff I think is positive. Where it's like, all right, the starters look good, 
the bench pieces got time, things like that are definitely worth keeping an eye on. And, and just for them to get into a rhythm and then staying healthy is important, which is kind of why I hope they don't play Percy. If he's a little yeah. bit banged up, you don't need him in this game at all. You have five other running backs, like doesn't seem necessary. So um, they don't have a ton of time this year to really lead into it is kind of my, my point is last year they eased up with Moorhead state and then they struggled with Robert Morris and, and almost lost to Elon, but like those teams were bad. So like they had the ability to kind of stink and Robert still Morris. I will still say, I will still <laughs> say that Robert Morris, Elon is bad. Robert Morris was still bad. Robert Morris wasn't as bad as JMU. It wasn't yes. the same Robert Morris team that we remember from 2018. Yes. It was a, a improved team. I will stand by that. And that, that struggle wasn't as bad as JMU fans made it out to be. The struggle against Elon was as bad as JMU fans made it out to be. I think Robert Morris was improved, but I was, it was still kind of a lackluster showing in that game, I would say, at least at the beginning. I'm going to pause. Second half was pretty good. Say. Yeah, yeah, you're a big, big uh, Robert Morris guy. But I think like this year, though, like Elon was not a good team. You can't really have a sluggish start this year. Like they have to be way better, faster. So Moorhead State, like work out the kinks, try to maybe try out some plays or some players you want to do in certain formations, whatever. Figure it out, get a blowout win, keep the guys healthy. Because then you're going straight into conference play with Maine, which probably won't be too, too hard. But then Weber State, bye week, New Hampshire, Villanova, Richmond, Delaware. Like you got to be ready to go this year because last year, they were able to kind of go in slowly and then make a playoff run this year. Like if you get off to a really sluggish start, you're going to maybe get out of that top four seed range. Yeah. And normally with the years since I've been following Jamie football, it's out of conference, out of conference, out of conference into conference play where they have not only you're talking about getting a fast start in a game. Don't be sluggish in a game, but also like they need to have a fast start to the season. Like, yeah, like there is no time to work out your kinks. You have more head state. And then if you drop Maine, you're all looking at an O and one start in CAA play. And you probably aren't winning the CAA outright with one loss. Like the winner of the CAA will probably be a no loss to a one loss CAA team. So that's different. That's different for this team. That's no player on this team has had a week two conference game. Yep. Yep, it's going to be a really interesting thing, and they need to be good this year in the first half and early in the first half of the season, the first half of games. Like they just, I think that's an area where I'm going to be keeping a close eye on them and how they kind of develop because they had some times last year where they put themselves in weird holes, and this year I think if they do that, they'll lose some of those early games and be behind the eight ball, which is not not what you want. But the other thing I'm I'm I still think they should. This is kind of my hot take on the game. I think they should score a hundred points in this game. That's my Kurt Signetti take. Here's, here's, here's the tag. I think they need to match what Mike Houston did in 2017 where he put up 80. Like, it seems like JMU fans are like, he only scored 50 last year. That's unacceptable. <laughs> they, they shut him out and they only, that's just not right. Like they should like, no, but I understand what you're saying where fans seem to like want to just keep laying it on. But at what point is enough enough? Like, honestly, Jane, you could get up 20 points and then just call off the dogs 110% and win by 20. Yes. That would be the same as winning by 80. That's the – like, if they win by, by 100, it would be horrible sportsmanship, <laughs> and they'd be in the news for, like, being huge jerks. But what I will say is, like, something in that 80 range, if they could hit 70, like, I think that is something – 
and this is a take I brought up like last year or over the summer, I still think that's something that would help with JMU fans being like, oh, Kurt Signetti's not a killer. Like, I know that it's more at state, but there's something about when Houston put up 80 when people are like, wow, we're offensive juggernaut. Like, if he can score 70 against a crap team, I do think it carries a little bit of weight in the, like, fan circles, which he shouldn't care about. But for us on our podcast, like, I do think he should <laughs> try to smoke them. I I need to do the deep dive on this because, yeah, people are like, Houston had offensive juggernauts, and it was always inflated with, like, the three out-of-conference yeah. games just being a 50-2 to two win, a 80-7 to seven win, and a 56-14 to 14 win, which inflate your season numbers astronomically. I think I'm going to do a dive into Houston stats and to see how good offensively he really was when he didn't have the cupcake games. Because I would argue that Kurt Signetti's offenses are just as potent as Mike Houston. They've certainly be, been in there. But last year, like last year, they didn't score. The only time they scored um, 40 or more was the Moorhead State game. Every other game, they were hanging in the like mid-30s. They were still yeah. a solid offense. And they scored, I think his high, I think his high is the 66 against Monmouth in that playoff game, I think is his high. So I don't know. I think he should <laughs> he should hit 70 and uh, just see how it goes. I think it's just not in his nature. I think at the once he gets up 40, he's more willing to take foot off the gas, put in third and fourth stringers. Where I, I think Houston was running with backups. Like he would run with backups then to the end of the game where Signetti's putting in like walk-ons. I still think those walk-ons could get him to 70. <laughs> All right. I, I think he could hit 70 with ease this year if he wants to. I just think they they really call off the dogs previously. Like they they scored 21 in that first quarter and then they only scored once in the second quarter, which is just frankly unacceptable. And uh no, I'm just kidding. But Percy had a touchdown last year in, late in the third quarter. Like that, that's that's it. That's a long time. If you're going to keep the guys in there like why not hit 100 and be like, hey, we're getting the two-minute segment on college game day next week, boys. For all the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Look at what the Dukes did to non-scholarship Moorhead State. They call be... Moorhead State the Harvard of the South, and JMU really decided to just beat up on them. I still think it'd be fun. I'll, I'll, I will say I want at least 70 points. I would like to see 70 points. I would just – I just win. <laughs> well, they're, they're gonna win there's no there's no chance they lose billy atkins is a guy who can go out there and get you some touchdowns you can play all four quarterbacks and i think you still score 70 if you want it i'm excited to see billy atkins i will say that i've I, yeah based off of no information He's i've been told kyle adams is the future and kyle adams doesn't even break into the two deep um so i have some questions you know who did break into the two deep for morehead state mark pappas I'm not going to know any of these players. You're going to have to, you're going to have to. Did they release a two deep? No, they did not at all. But he uh, he started the game last year for uh, for Morehead State, and he absolutely sucked. And then they pulled him, and, and then DeAndre Clayton came in and went seven for Clayton. Nine. Actually, I remember Clayton. He kind of moved the ball on uh -huh. him. Um, didn't do much out, out after that. And they also put in Grady Kramer, but he only went two for five. So they played three quarterbacks last season. Mark Pappas had 228 attempts last season played in seven games they played two other quarterbacks that essentially only played in that JMU game because they were blown out so much wow I um I'll be honest I there's really almost nothing I'm going to take away from this game like, yeah. <laughs> like we're, we're doing a great <laughs> job at hyping this up. Like, you need to tune in you need to watch there's absolutely nothing that like can come from 
only bad things can come from this game. Like I'm thinking ahead in a week. What are yeah. we talking about on the podcast? Only Injuries. bad things. Like it's either, wow, Jamie smoked him and put up 70 or Bennett's on. You're going, they didn't score 70 and I'm disappointed in this offense. I think for me, really for this kind of game, you want to stay healthy, but there's no reason they shouldn't try to score triple digits. Why are you not trying to set program records out here? Maybe 90. 90 is like way less offensive than 100, but it's still like, whoa. <laughs> so I don't know. I would. They could have scored 100 in, this, in the Houston era. They were like called off the dogs against Rhode Island in that 80 or whatever the hell it was, 84, 80. When Moorhead State, they call off the dogs, I think, a little bit. I'd like to see them not call off the dogs. I'm talking about tempo late in the fourth quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine running up to the line, four seconds left. They're at 92. They score a touchdown as time expires, and they trot out a two-point conversion attempt. Could you imagine that? Gosh. But, yeah, when we're talking about takeaways, like, I don't think there's anything I'll take away. I think it's good for the offensive line to get reps together and some chemistry and, like, the young guys. But then I think the main game is going to tell us a lot more about uh, what the team can be. And and then after that, it's going to be kind of a gauntlet. So I am excited for this season to start, for them to get in there and to see some of these guys. And like you mentioned, like a Billy Atkins. Like, I want to I see these young guys who could be the future of the program in this game. That's really the only thing that I'm kind of interested in. Yeah, and then going from there, we'll we'll jump back into the two deep. We kind of straight away. We'll go back into it. Any what was the big surprise? You looked at it at first, and you were like, "Wow, this surprised me." Cole starting at quarterback, you know, over over Kyle Adams. Like, you're, no, the I will say actually though, Kyle Adams not being one of the three quarterbacks listed surprised me. That yeah. was that was maybe my number one surprise. And then Wesley McCormick, I guess, is still hurt. Um, and he's not listed, which I imagine is injury-related. Yeah, I think that was the biggest one for me, too, was seeing Wesley McCormick not listed. Um, that's kind of a blow to this team. I mean, you have three good corners in McCormick, Carroll, and Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, not having one of them, you kind of you wonder who's going to be that third corner that covers the slot type of spot. Um, you would assume it probably would have been uh, either Carroll or McCormick, uh, just because I don't think Greg Ross at 6'1", 186 necessarily is the type of speed. But granted, I don't I don't he's probably He's big are. enough to not be on the slot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, you look at you look at their 2D, if I have my eyes on it now, you have Xavier Co- Cockley, Jamari Currents, Jordan Swan, and Antonio Webb. I mm-hmm. really don't know how any of them are in the slot. I don't think they got extended snaps last season and they're probably going to get extended snaps. I don't know how long Wesley McCormick's going to be out. It's okay if they get extended snaps in Moorhead state, mm-hmm. you get a little questionable when it gets to Maine and Weber state. Yeah. I think corner is probably the biggest question mark on the, on the team. I think like it's a position that even when it's healthy has had some issues in the past. So yeah. Interested to see what happens here. Um, I can't really stop laughing at the defensive line. Like, everyone they list there is so good. Okay, so here's the defensive line. Starting it, so they run this weird, what is it, three, no, four, two. They call it a four, two, five, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a four, two, five. So four down linemen, two linebackers, five defensive backs at all times because they have three safeties, one basically a rover, which in the, the breakdown, the rover, how I've always assumed it is, he's kind of, a linebacker hybrid 
come down to the box on run plays, back into coverage on pass plays. Uh, so the defensive line is Bryce Carter, the Towson transfer, Mike Green, arguably the best player in the FCS, James Carpenter, a redshirt freshman who dominated last season. So good in the spring. As a freshman, as a true mm-hmm. freshman. Um, Isaac Ukwu and with Jalen Green or Antonio Kolkla. Like, the, and that's the stud position. I guess this is my also assumption of the stud because they have a nose guard. I would assume it goes, if you're wa- watching the podcast on YouTube, defensive end to defensive tackle, nose guard over the center. Mm-hmm. If they pull the stud up, because I assume the stud is going to be like a linebacker, like up rusher in some cases, or a down lineman on running situate. They have a very hybrid defense, I feel like. Yeah, I think they can be really – especially those guys like Ukwu, Jalen Green, and Cole Call. Like, Ukwu is listed at 255. The other guys are like 240. Like, they're basically big linebacker edge guys. So, I think they can be, especially at the FCS level, really creative with how they try to implement them. Yeah, so I could see when they have three down linemen, it would probably be Green and – Carter on the edges with the nose guard of Carpenter covering the center and then Mm -hmm. the stud would be up and then on rushing plays you'd move you'd move green into the middle as a defensive tackle and then put the stud on the edge um it's just this defense is kind of crazy yeah and I gotta I gotta double check actually they have it here so let me let me get it correct thank god for the pronunciation guide oh who are we trying oh we're gonna say it's uh yeah it's Abi what Abi Nwabwa, Abi Nwabwaku, Okonji, Konji, Okonji. Okay, okay. The way they spell it almost makes it harder than reading it. Abi Nwabwaku, Okonji, Okay. Nwabwaku, Okonji. Okonji. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to reading time with Ben. <laughs> We got to get this guy a nickname. No, but he's Abby, Min- just call him Abby. Abby, the Minnesota transfer. From what TJ Ack and Greg Medea have said, and some of their stuff, their podcast and writing, like of the guys in the defensive line, he looks the part, the best. Like the dude looks like a monster, and he's 6'3, 263, and apparently had a great camp. Like I'm really excited to see what this guy can do. Um, he's backing up Bryce Carter, at least on the two deep. He's going to get a lot of run early in the season, I would guess. I'm just – there's so many guys that are going to just crush people at this level, man. It's insane because everyone on the two deep I would put money on would start on any other FCS mm-hmm. school. Yeah. And a, <laughs> and a lot of them would start on FBS schools too. There are a lot of guys. I mean, like you look at the offensive line. It's I mean, everyone's at least 300 pounds and 6'3 on the starting offensive line. There's – let's just – let's take a moment to talk about Tyshawn Watt. Monster. 6'4", 335, redshirt freshman. Also, I need to say this. Have you ever seen this many R's in front of names before? I mean, in front of years before? Every single player, because <laughs> yeah. of last year's weird eligibility thing, They're every single shirt. player is a redshirt. <laughs> That's pretty incredible, yeah. Gosh, what a weird time. But, yeah, I mean, the offensive line's massive. Like, receivers have pretty good size. I mean, Bracey's 6'3", a little bit over 200. You got Wells, who's 6'1", 204, but probably plays a little bigger. And then they've got the speed guys with Thornton, 
tight ends are big. Like, I mean, the fact that they have the offensive line and then like Noah Turner could come in at six four two fifty, and like <laughs> block. <laughs> it's stupid. Well, the, the, yeah, they're blocking tight ends are Noah Turner and Drew Painter. They are six four six three respectively, two fifty three, two forty five respectively. Clayton Cheatham, who isn't a small human and can block himself, is six two two thirty four. Yeah, he's built like a fullback. Like, I mean, it's just a lot of stuff they can do with these guys. And I guess the, only, the other thing that kind of stood out, and Greg had mentioned this, that um, Connor Madden was the kickoff guy last year. I think he tore his ACL, so he's out, and it'll be Camden Wise. Who's a, Camden Wise was the kickoff specialist in 2019. Yeah, so he's been around the block a little bit. So we won't, we won't see a Connor Madden 50-yard uh, field goal <laughs> in an FCS playoff game this season, which is what you're telling me. That'll be Camden Wise this year, yes. Yeah, okay, perfect. As <laughs> long as we have someone other than Ethan Rackey. I was like, Ethan Rackey apparently can kick 40-yard, 50-yard field goals now. Apparently he's been working on that. Kind of confused. Yeah, I think that was a report that TJ had that he said he feels good from like 52 or 53. I would need to see that. Yeah, but, but yeah. I would too. <laughs> like in a game, I would need to see that. So we'll see what happens. But I'm excited. The two deep looks really – it's just fun to look at a two deep. I don't know something about it man i think jmu has the best two deep layout too if i'm being honest it's pretty clean it's really clean yeah well anything else we need to i feel like we ran through i i feel like we had a lot to talk about but (laughs) then we realized that there's not a lot to talk about when it comes to morehead state not a particularly thrilling matchup this week but uh should be an interesting one we got to do ca pick them great point man (laughs) thank you for bringing that up the CAA Weekly Pick'em. Because we got some coming up. We got earlier games. It's not all Saturday this week, folks. Not all Saturday. Man, I did, I did slack last season on putting out the uh, CAA Weekly Pick'em graphic. Um, yeah, well. Bennett did win for the third year in a row. <laughs> Just an absolute beast. Pretty dominant, I would say. I will say last year was weird, though, So because there's a lot of cancellations, a lot of random stuff. I think if, if we played a full CAA slate, I would have won because I, oh. I would have ridden <laughs> my dogs Rhode Island to the very end. Maybe that would have worked for you. Probably Money. not. Hey, but they have their own Taysom Hill and Kaysom Hill. All right. <laughs> so the CAA Weekly pick them. Let's get them. New Hampshire faces Stony Brook tomorrow. We're recording on Wednesday. Face off yeah. tomorrow. 6 p.m. at Stony Brook. Who you got? This one has me a little bit interested because it is at Stony Brook. Because it's two teams um, that suck. Well, no. I think New Hampshire could be respectable. You add in the fact that this game is at Stony Brook with the fans back, right? I am i don't know the exact numbers. I'm guessing they – what do they seat? 75,000 in there? <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> – the funny Move, your, move your comma one over <laughs> to the some left. Of, some of these CAA games are like, fans are back. It's like, well, are they? <laughs> I'll take New Hampshire. I just think New Hampshire is probably better. Okay. I, I can respect that. Um, I'm going to go Stony Brook. Wow. You believe in the home field advantage. I believe in that. And I don't think UNH is that good. They lost to Albany on. last season. And Albany, Albany was great. Sucks. All right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty good logic there. Um, <laughs> Delaware, Maine is the next one up tomorrow night. 7 p.m. kickoff. In Maine, there's some weird juju that happens in Maine. Who you got? Yeah, kind of like an ugly, weird potential here for a Thursday night game. Um, I'm not quite as high in Delaware as you, but I still think they have a really good team, so I think they could win that one handily, and I think they'll be a, a force this year at some capacity. 
I agree. Delaware are dark horse national championship contenders, and they're going to start their run with a beatdown of Maine. Um, you know, normally we don't do non-conference games, but, you know, let's throw some non-conference CAA. Do we not do non-conference games? We, we, didn't la- we haven't done it the last couple of years, but let's do it this year. Yeah, we got to bring it back. Villanova-Lehigh. In Le- How did Lehigh swing Villanova to come They're to They're, like, Atlanta? next to each other, I think. Oh, okay. Well, they're pretty close, at least. <laughs> All right, it's a, got it's a bus trip. Lehigh. I'll take Villanova. Lehigh is, what are they, Patriot League? Probably. Yeah, I don't think that that good. Nova's a national championship contender every year in the preseason, so. Yeah, I was going to say, well, it's not even for the preseason, <laughs> for the first three weeks of the season, and then they actually play a good team, and then they, they get exposed as frauds. I'm going to go Villanova as well. Next up, Howard travels to Richmond. Who you got? Richmond, not a lot of thought here for me. I think they'll. They'll start the season with a win. I agree. I think Richmond, um, they got they got screwed out of a playoff spot last season. Um, their only loss was to the number one team in the country. They should have gotten in over some of the Valley teams that got in. I think Richmond is a solid CAA team this season. I think they're good, finally. Fair enough. There are a couple of matchups coming up that have me really excited. <laughs> Wow. Wofford, Elon. Not this one. Yeah, I know. It's the next (laughs) one. (laughs) I will – I'll take – no, actually, Wofford. I'm taking Wofford. I think Wofford has – they run some sort of funky offense, and that might not not be true. At some point, I thought they were running triple option. Don't know how accurate this is. I don't care. I think the triple option, whether they run it or not, is going to be a huge (laughs) issue for Elon this week. Uh, Elon's going to lose that game for sure. I'm going to go Elon. You know why? Because Davis Davis Cheek isn't injured yet. (laughs) That's mean. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. I hope he stays healthy because they don't seem like they have a lot uh, aside from him. If he stays healthy, I think they can win two games, one of them being Wofford. Uh, If he gets injured, I think their season (laughs) over. Albany, here's the game that you were looking forward to. Oh, yeah. Albany travels to Fargo, North (laughs) Dakota, to take on the fighting Quincy Pattersons, North Dakota State. Who do you got? Under Cuffler in a in an enclosed space this time Anti-vax of year. Anti-vax or under <laughs> mass feels like it could be problematic for the Bison. No, um, <laughs> Albany I think is going to stink. So I'll say North Dakota State by a lot. But somewhat interested to see how Under Cuffler plays in the dome. I am going to take North Dakota State by probably three, probably four touchdowns. Albany's not good. Um, Yeah, they're bad. We all got – well, by we, I mean me. I got infatuated with the undercuffler after seeing his freshman year. But what we didn't talk about enough were the star wide receivers that he had that he could throw three-yard slants to who would take it 80 yards and inflate his numbers. Undercuffler's going to struggle. North Dakota State has an FBS transfer from Virginia Tech. North Dakota State are the national championship favorites. so really Towson Morgan State uh Towson by a good bit I agree nice to see them come back and and play this year yeah thanks I'm glad uh they weren't scared like last season uh Moorhead (laughs) State JMU I'll take the Dukes and the Nailbiter all right I'm gonna take JMU as well by five touchdowns this is where I'm excited well I guess I guess we have to talk about um we have to give our score predictions for JMU, Morehead State. Yes, yes, okay. Uh, 100 to 3. 
I think he does it. I think Cincinnati listens to the pod and he, you know what? He wakes up Saturday morning and he goes, screw it. I'm doing it for the boys. Goes out, gets us our 100. After the game, he doesn't even apologize. He says, you know what? If you, you got an issue with it, stop us. It's football. I'm going to say this. There's no way in hell that they put up a field goal. They're either going to go. <laughs> that's gonna that's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's your takeaway from me saying they're going to score 100. <laughs> More head stays not making a kick. Well, no, they might get into field goal range, but they're, they're going to go, go for, for it. it on fourth down. <laughs> it's going to, they're going to get into field goal range, not when it's 0 0 or 7 3 and they still think they have a chance. They're going to get into field goal range when it's 50 0. Morehead State wins the opening toss. They like to receive. Guy takes the return way down there. Everyone's freaking out about special teams. They make a field goal. <laughs> JMU scores the next 100. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go uh, 56. Seven. If they score only 56, I will riot on this podcast. <laughs> um, Bryant versus Rhode Island. You know why we're so excited about this? Why? Gage Maloney, starting quarterback, Bryant. So who you got? So I'm pretty stoked for this. I haven't done any research on Bryant. I looked up uh, their thing just now. They have what appears to be a defensive tackle with some good size. He's getting held in this picture. Um. That tells me they've got a disruptive front, which I like to see. Uh, they're picked to finish fourth in the NEC. NEC wow, that's a competitive division, too. Fourth is, uh, fourth is respectable in the NEC. Could be way worse. So uh, <laughs> Could be way better. I, uh, I'm going to take Bryant. Wow. Yeah, I like uh, – it's also this game is on flow football, which is really good. Uh, it's CAA game, so good chance to take advantage of that for subscription. Good point. Um, I'm going Rhode Island. I'm high on I'm high on the roadies, the Rams. Um, I like Kaysom Hill, their quarterback. In games he played last season, in games where he was healthy, they won last season. He did get banged up at the end of the season. Moving to the next one, William & Mary, UVA. You're covering this one. Covering this one. Like Kirk Herb, Herb, Herb Street, you always like to, to stay out of these predictions. No. Um, I think I we did some sort of pick'em thing um, for like my actual job. I think I had a Virginia winning like fifty-two to ten or something. So Virginia by a lot. Wow, you have no faith in Mike London and um, Hollis Mathis. Mathis is not guaranteed to play. He's still banged up. And the uh, they had that running back last year who was pretty good that didn't play against JMU. I think it's the same guy, that youngster. He's also out. Isn't uh Mike London wasn't he the old coach of UVA? Yeah, so a lot of storylines. Revenge game. It's uh, <laughs> I think he's already played him. Actually, maybe not. But uh, yeah, huge revenge game for Mike London. And with all of that in mind, I'm going UVA as well. Fair enough. Do we? So what are our differences? Our differences are game one. I took Stony Brook. You took New Hampshire. Yeah, that's and then I took Elon. You took Wofford. You yes. actually took Albany. I took North Dakota State. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, and I took Rhode Island. You took Bryant. Okay, Bryant's going to get smoked if I stand by that pick. They did. I guess Bryant didn't play last year. They're going to be fresh. Play? Oh, probably not. That's a good point. That's I don't know. Um, oh, now we got to do Oh, no, they did. Now. They did. Sorry, I, I was incorrect. They did play, and they uh, – they actually made some noise last year. They were two and two, 
but uh, competitive in every game. And you add Gage Maloney in there. Gage Maloney is going to absolutely tear up that conference. See, that's my only worry is that Gage Maloney might actually like be good. But then I also remember that you have to have talent around you to win games. And I don't think Bryant has talent around Maloney. Probably fair, but I stand by my pick. Um, all right, moving to some quick hitters. Eveline Zwagger was CAA Player of the Week in field hockey. Field nice. hockey um, was a preseason ranked team. And if I'm not mistaken, have started their season off pretty well. Yes. Thank you. Miranda <laughs> Rigg, old JMU kind of field hockey star. Miranda Rigg is now an assistant coach at LaSalle. I just saw That's that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, JMU bounced back from their – they got throttled by Marshall. Like, Yeah, throttled. that was really bad for the, the, the lads. Soccer it guys. It wasn't a good game. No, they did bounce back. We the big the big game. Uh, I'll say field hockey one more thing. They do play a old Dominion team that was ranked to start the year. I think Delaware obliterated them, so they're probably not ranked now. But uh, Friday they got a, a good match against Old Dominion and chance this this weekend against Richmond. And Delaware's a good team. Uh, yeah, JMU mm-hmm. has won their first two games by a score of six zero. Pretty impressive. Um, so that's that's very good defense. Um, and yeah, and then. Men's soccer blanked Kansas City, the Fighting Kangaroos. Big bounce back. So that was a good win. Good for them. I think they won 2-0, 3-0. And soccer, they just lost to Louisville uh, 4-3. Tough one. If If I'm not mistaken, by just lost, I mean August 27th. If I'm not mistaken, they were down like 4-0 or 3-0 and roared back. They played uh, the women's soccer girls have had a weird season where they started with VCU and they ended up losing on like this this goal with like 12 seconds left or something heartbreaking. Lose that 1-0, then they blew out American for nothing. Louisville goes up on it. Well, they actually started this game on a Thursday, played like eight minutes, and then it rained. And they're like, we're just going to scrap all that. We'll come back tomorrow, which would be so annoying. So they scrapped it all, came back the next day. They're down 3 nothing, scored three in a row, and then gave up one. So lost 4-3. to three. And then on Sunday, they were supposed to play at Ohio, and it rained. And I think they played a, a half, and then they called it and made no contest. So, like, if you're a women's soccer player for JMU, I think you're just furious at the weather. But That's such a, that's such a terrible way to start your season. <laughs> It would be so irritating. You've got, there's, that's terrible. I feel for them. Um, I think that's about it. I'm scrolling through some stuff quickly, some news um, I think that's about everything that's been going on around JMU sports. So football plays Moorhead State 6 p.m. this Saturday, September 4th. Uh, Bennett expects JMU to put up a three-digit win, 100-3. to three. I expect a 56-7 to seven JMU win. We'll see you guys next week. For Bennett Conlin, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. See ya! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.